Well, I'd like for you <clears throat> to take your Bibles and turn, if you will, uh, to um, Exodus chapter 36. The title of the message today is Stop Giving. I know you'd like that. A Christian lady who was a soft touch for anyone she met on the street was walking in her neighborhood one day and she encountered a shabbily dressed man just out of natural impulse. She went into her purse and took out a $5 bill and she smiled and she pressed it in the gentleman's hand and she said, Godspeed. The next day, the shabbily dressed man knocked on the door of her house. He said, here's your $100, lady. Godspeed came in first and paid 20 to 1. <laughs> that has absolutely no point uh, to the message, but uh, I thought it was funny. The message is about giving, not gambling. And I want to tell you something. <clears throat> I'm going through a series of last here uh, at uh, North Florida Baptist Church. I had the, uh, my last uh, Christmas service a few weeks ago, and, and uh, the last this and the last that. This is the last message that I'm going to preach to you ever about giving, okay? This is the very last one. So, uh, please tell your friends, the ones who stay home because the preacher is preaching on giving, that uh, there will be no more sermons on giving, so uh, they are free uh, to come out of hiding. Whether or not people understand it or appreciate it, receiving an offering is as, as much a part of the worship service as singing, praying, or preaching. Giving is worshiping the Lord. Now, in our church, we receive our tithes and offerings, we receive our gifts for missions and so on. We do that at the close of the service, but still, it is a part of our worship. I had a little hesitancy uh, to, uh, to offer online giving, uh, which we do now. You can give uh, online. You can give uh, by going to our website. You can give by our church app that some of you have on your phone. And if you don't have the church app, uh, just go to the app store and type in North Florida Baptist Church, and you'll, you'll see the app there. And um, I, I was hesitant to do all of that because it seemed to me to be a step taken out of the worship experience. However, in light of the fact and, and the reality that this is almost uh, becoming a checklist uh, society, people just don't write the checks that they used to, uh, I've, I've come to the understanding that you do have to do those things, but it, it shouldn't be any less a part of your worship experience than if you put, uh, as I do, a uh, tithing envelope with your tithing check uh, in the plate. What if I said to you one day, it's time for you to stop giving. I want you to just stop. Wouldn't that be a surprise to you? Wouldn't you be shocked if I said, just stop it. We're done. Uh, no more giving. Well, our text is about a time when that is exactly what happened. God's people were receiving an offering, and the man of God said, that's enough. You've got to stop. And he actually, some people brought a report to him, and he sent the word back to the people that there was more than enough 
and they needed to stop giving. Very unusual passage. Exodus 36, beginning in verse 5, and, and said, that is, the people that were talking to Moses. They said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough and for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So, Moses gave command, and word was proclaimed throughout the camp, let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing, for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. What a big surprise. What a big surprise to the people of God when they were told, you've got to stop this now. There'll be no more offerings. We've had, uh, we have enough. In fact, we have too much. And we really don't know what to do with all uh, that you are giving. Uh, Brother Larry told me about uh, a very famous author. If I said his name, you would know him. Uh, he's from Mississippi. I'll give you that little insight. He is from Mississippi. He's a very famous uh, author. And uh, he is a, uh, a born-again believer. He's a Baptist, actually. And his pastor actually had to go to him and said, would you not give as much to the church as you've been giving? Because, quite honestly, the, the church was depending on him to bankroll the church. And he said, you, you, they, the pastor asked him, said, would you stop uh, or at least curtail or spread your giving out to some other things? Now, I, I think that would be a huge surprise if anybody uh, were to ever say that to anyone. And I'm sure it was a surprise to, to this man. But that is literally what Moses did. He told the ushers, he said, look, stop uh, receiving the offering. We're not going to receive any more offering. And, and tell the people, in fact, when they bring an offering, tell them they've got to stop. And it says that the people were restrained from giving. Now, I don't know if, you know, they cuffed them or anything, but uh, they, were, they were told you've got to stop giving. Now, that's an interesting thing. I want to ask a few questions this morning, and, and we'll be done. First of all, what did they give? Um, if I announced a yard sale... And we don't do yard sales, but if I announced a yard sale to raise money for world evangelism, for missions, for youth ministry, or another project, the, tr- the response would be tremendous. If I said, look, uh, we're going to open up the gymnasium or open up uh, whatever place, and <clears throat> we want you to bring things for a yard sale, and all of the, uh, all of the, the income from that yard sale is going to be for missions or whatever we, we determined, we would have more old clothes than we knew what to do with. There, there, would, be, there would be madras jackets. There would be leisure suits. Um, we'd have broken high chairs. Uh, there would be an abundance of hideous lamps. Uh, there'd be all kinds of things that uh, people have been looking at for years saying, I, I need to get rid of this. And it was a good opportunity. And that's just the way that it is. I mean, that is the way that it is. You, some of you go to yard sales. I'm sure that occasionally you'll get a treasure, but you know what you mainly get, what they're throwing away. So, so that, that's just the way that it is. Is this why Moses had to stop the offering? I mean, were, were, did, did he have to say, look, no more double knit? Uh, did he have to say, please, You've got to stop bringing the broken lawn chairs. We're just done. 
no more. Is that what they were giving? Were they giving so much old stuff that they ran out of space to store it? Well, uh, this is going to take a little bit, but let's look and see what they gave, beginning in verse 21 of Exodus 35. And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting, and for all its services, and for the holy garments. And so they came, both men and women. All who were of a willing heart brought brooches and earrings, signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects. Every man dedicated an offering of gold to the Lord. And everyone who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns or fine linen or goat's hair or tanned ram skins or goat skins brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution. And everyone who possessed uh, acacia wood of, uh, of any use in the, uh, in the work brought it. And every skillful woman spun with her hands, and they were all uh, brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet and yarns and, and, and fine twined linen. And all the women whose hearts stirred them uh, to use their skill spun goat hair. And, and let me just stop here before I continue reading. Are you, are you seeing the spread of people who gave here? I mean, it went all the way from the people that had a lot of gold to bring to the people that spun things out of goat hair, and they, they all brought. Now, verse 27, and the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastplate, and spices and oil for light and for the anointing of oil and, and for the fragrant incense. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a, look here, free will offering to the Lord. Now, there wasn't a flea market item uh, included in all of this. These people were giving the very best that they possibly had, regardless of what they had. Regardless of their, their uh, socioeconomic status, they gave the best that they had. I'm even more impressed with the fact that they had to be stopped from giving when I realized that they weren't just giving stuff, they were giving the best that they had, no matter what they had. They had lived in bondage <clears throat> to Egypt for so long and had given, uh, been given little chance for any prosperity, yet they gave the most valuable possessions that they had to the work of the Lord. That's not typically the way that people give today. Typically, the way that people give today is to give what's left over. Uh, typically, the way that people give today is, is to give the end, not the beginning of their prosperity. Many years ago, long before I became the pastor of this church, I visited a missionary in Brazil. And one evening, <clears throat> we were making uh, some calls, and we were visiting in the homes of his uh, church members, people that went to um, the missionary's church. And uh, we, were, uh, we were in uh, Sao Paulo, Brazil, uh, which is one of the, I guess, one of the poorest cities in the world. And, and the missionary wanted me to meet Antonio. Antonio was a married man, and I believe Antonio had two children, if I remember correctly, and they lived in a very small um, uh, piece of a house. I don't even know that you'd call it an apartment. It was a, a piece of a house. And I can still see that we parked up on the street and we walked down a steep driveway uh, to 
and knocked on the door where Antonio lived. And, and he lived in one of the most populated parts of, of Sao Paulo. And Sao Paulo is, is a monstrous city. It is absolutely huge. It is beyond big. Sao Paulo is a huge, huge city. And we went into this very poor neighborhood and we visited Antonio, a member of the missionary's church. Now, he wanted me to visit with Antonio because he wanted to tell me Antonio's story. Antonio was a workman of some kind, and, and uh, the, when we went into the house, there was no luxury in that house. There was nothing that, you know, you, you wouldn't say, boy, I wish I could have one of those. There was nothing there in that house like that. But Antonio was a gracious man. He appeared to be maybe in his, in his uh, late 30s or early 40s. And Antonio uh, had done something very unusual for the missionary church. They were trying to build a little build, a building where they could assemble, where they could meet. Now, in most missionary churches, they meet in temporary facilities or borrowed facilities. They'll meet in somebody's house. They'll meet in, a, uh, in the back room of a place. They'll, they'll meet uh, just in whatever they can get get to, really. They'll, they'll meet. And, and it's, it's rare when you're able to even think about having a piece of property and, and building something that you call a church. Far more churches are not in buildings that are called churches than, than the missionary churches that are in other places. But they were going to build a little church, not a big church, just a little one. And so they were raising money. And a lot of times when you do missions work, you raise money in the United States or a more prosperous country and uh, you send it to the mission field, and the missionaries build with the money that's raised from people who are more prosperous, and that's one of the reasons that, that we give to missions and so on. But it's not the only way that they're built. A lot of times, and in this case, there were offerings being received by the people in the church. And he wanted me to meet Antonio because of Antonio's gift to the church. Now, Antonio had a job. He worked every day, I don't know how much he made, but I'm sure it wasn't a great deal of money. And Antonio had a car, uh, which was a, a pretty big deal that somebody would have a car uh, because most people didn't have a car. It wasn't a great car, but he, he did have a car. And in order to pour the, the slab or the concrete on the floor of the church, Antonio sold his car. He sold his car and he gave all of the money from the car to the church so that they could uh, have the concrete floor in the church. Antonio literally gave the best that he had, and in many cases, perhaps all that he had, and he did so to worship the Lord by putting a concrete floor in the building that they were constructing. Now, I'd never seen anything like that at that time. Since then, I've seen some, peop- some people who have made some really uh, gifts that were really a blessing, and they were a blessing to the church and a blessing to me and what they give and how they gave and, and so on. But I want to tell you something, Antonio, I've never seen anyone to match the gift that Antonio made to his church there when he gave uh, his car to the church I said that to say this, this is the caliber of offerings that were being given by the children of Israel to build the tabernacle of the Lord. And and it's hard for most of us, if not all of us, to understand this. 
because we simply do not approach that level of sacrifice. Why was Antonio willing to sell his car to give to the Lord? Why were the children of Israel willing uh, to be so generous with the Lord? Why were they uh, able to worship the Lord in this way? Well, that's the next question we're going to ask. Why were they so generous? Something must have gotten into these people. What was it? Had Moses promised them something? Was this some sort of a a capital funds program, and Moses promised them that if you'll do this, then uh, you'll get that and so on. I don't think there were any promises like that. As I look at the passages, there's, there's no promise at all. There was, there was some things that are glaring to me and should be glaring to you, and I want to point them out to you. Four things, in, in fact. First of all, I think one of the reasons that they gave is because they were happy to be free. They had been in bondage for so long that they were happy to be free from Egyptian captivity. They had been lorded over by cruel taskmasters. Now they were free, and it was God who had made them free. And they were grateful for their freedom. They were grateful to God for the freshness of freedom that they had. They remembered the horror of oppression, and they were basking in the freshness of of freedom, and it showed in their sacrifice and in their, their free will offering, as the Bible put it. Fresh freedom rejoices. There is no lack of gratitude by those who feel the freshness of their freedom, those who sense the freshness of their freedom. One of the joys of Christianity is to hear the story of someone who is newly saved, Someone who has freshly been made free from their sin, who has been forgiven of their sin. Well, these people gave because they had that kind of fresh freedom. How fresh is our freedom today? How fresh do we feel in our freedom? How real is is your forgiveness to you? How real is, is the sense that you have been forgiven? Do you still have an enthusiastic gratitude for your salvation? Did you ever have an enthusiastic gratitude for your salvation? I'm afraid that one of the hazards of the church in America today, and quite honestly, you can see it by what I call, and you've heard me talk about it so many times, consumer Christianity, is that we're not really grateful for our freedoms today. And I'm not talking about freedoms of Americans. I'm talking about freedom as a believer as someone who has been born again into the family of God. I want to tell you something. If you rejoice in your freedom in Jesus Christ, it shows in your life. It shows not only in what you say, it shows in what you do. It shows in what you give. It shows in how you give. Giving to the Lord is a way to worship the Lord and to rejoice in the freedom of our salvation. I believe that these people gave because they were happy to be free. They were glad that they were no longer lorded over, and they were glad that they were no longer held in captivity by those sinful Egyptians. They were happy to be free, so they gave. Here's the second thing. I think they remembered how they had failed. I think these people gave because they could remember a time when they had failed, and they had failed with the very kind of things that they were giving. It hadn't been too long since the same people had talked Aaron into taking their earrings and gold and and making a, an image of gold that they would worship. 
And those things that they had held on to had become a stumbling block to them so that they now wanted to, to worship it. And I think they remembered how that little gold uh, became their, a problem for their lives. It's much better to use our resources for the glory of God than to allow our, our resources to be a stumbling block. God has given all of us so much, and not just in, in material things, but in other blessings and other areas as well. And sometimes what God has given us becomes a stumbling block. It becomes a problem for us because we're so good at this, or we have this so much, or God has gifted us in this way that we, we kind of forget where the gifts came from, and they become a part of our own personal DNA, and we think, well, uh, I'm responsible for this. I'm, I'm the one who built this. I'm the one who did this. And because it was me, it was all me all the time, then it is mine. And pride comes in. Whether it's how smart you are, or how pretty you are, or how handsome you are, or how athletic, or whatever it may be, or how rich you are, pride comes in. We say, this is something that I've built. Well, the children of Israel had an opportunity to look and say, you know what? We have failed with this stuff before. In fact, we allowed ourselves to worship it. So much so that we ask Aaron to build a calf to represent the prosperity that we have had to this point, and we would worship that prosperity. Why were they so generous? Well, I believe they were generous because they were happy to be free, and and they remembered how they had failed. And they believed in the power of God. They, They absolutely did. These folks had seen God's power displayed at the Red Sea. They saw God's power displayed, the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night as they escaped from the Egyptians. They heard the power of God on the mountaintop as he gave the commandments to Moses, and they saw the power of God in the face of Moses as it glowed after having been with God. God's power had been so real in their lives that the power of possessions became secondary, even third rate to them. I want to say that again because that's really a big deal. God's power had become so real to them that their possessions had become secondary, even third rate to them. Are your possessions secondary or third rate to you? How real is the power of God in our lives? Is God's presence and power genuinely real? Do we serve a powerful God or do we serve a ceremonial God? I, I believe this. I believe it with all of my heart. And I believe this is what, why consumer Christianity has become a big deal today. I believe this is why people go where there is what they want. They go where their, their fur is smoothed down instead of rubbed up. And the, and the reason is simply because they have become ceremonial believers. Some serve a God that they bring out for weddings. Some serve a God that they bring out for births. Some serve a God that they bring out for funerals. Some serve a God that they bring out for holidays. Or they bring out on all of those days. But their God is a ceremonial God. 
Their God's not an everyday God to them. Their God is not a God of, of personal power to them. Their God is not a God that, that enables them to walk, enables them to move and have their being. Their God is not a God so powerful to them that everything else becomes secondary. But that's what it was for the children of Israel at this time. For the children of Israel, the power of God was real. Here's one more reason. I believe it's because they saw the need. I doubt that there's ever been a group of people more willing to offer to God, to offer God a house for His glory. They saw the need, and they were happy to meet the need to whatever degree God would use them to meet the need. In fact, I think they were overwhelmed that they could meet the need. I think they were overwhelmed that they were, got to be a part of meeting the need. The needs of God's work is, is real, but we don't always see them. We don't always see the need for evangelism. Several years ago, several years ago, many, many years ago, I had a guy, a good, good, good man, a really good man. He's not here today, hasn't been here in a long time, <clears throat> but a really good man come up to me and say, why do we, do you ask us to give offerings to missionaries? Aren't there a lot of things that we need here? And I, and I really, I, I didn't have a spiritual answer for him, so I just didn't give him an answer. I, I, was, I was flabbergasted. We, we have a we have a need, we have a commission. Our commission says, go ye therefore. That's why we're, what we're here for is to go ye therefore. How real are those needs to us? How real is the need of this church? Are they real enough for us to support the work of God? Not just with our attendance and quite honestly, and this, oh boy, this has been so frustrating to me. I really, really believed and still believe with all of my heart that I needed to make the announcement about my retirement a year in advance. I didn't count on people taking their leave. It just flabbergasted me. I, 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 I honestly thought that people would say, you know what? We better get ourselves together because we're going to be finding a new pastor soon. And pastor Ray's not going to be here. And, and th- I'm not trying to make this about me, but I'm, I'm trying to, to, to make a point here that there is a real need, not only for giving, there's a real need for our church family to be supportive. Because th- there's, there's going to come a day, and it's not going to be too long from now. There's going to come a day when somebody's going to stand in front of you and they're going to, and and you're going to look at them and say, all right, we're going to look at him and see if we want him to be our pastor. And you know what? He's going to look at you the same way. And you're here. I love you. God bless you. And, and, and I understand that, but I'm, I'm here to tell you that, that in, in at least one way, there was a reverse effect in me announcing so far in advance. Now, I think we've been able to accomplish some other things and still are accomplishing those things. But these people 
the children of Israel, they saw that the, the need was real. How real is that calling of a new pastor to you? How, how real is the fact that, that he is going to need a, a staff to help him? And I'll say more about that later, but I will tell you, and, and, and I'll review this in just a moment, but this, we have, I have deliberately, deliberately allowed this staff to dwindle because I knew that a new pastor was coming and the new pastor would have to pull together a staff. I knew that. How real is that to you? When, when the need became real for the children of Israel, they gave, they gave mightily. They gave joyfully. They gave sacrificially. They gave with a sense of worship, I would say unmatched in the Bible. They were people who were generous with God. They gave the best they had. They gave for good reasons. Sometimes people do not give as they should because they they think that they are not the ones who should be giving. And that's the third question. Who did participate in this offering? I, uh, I watched a, a series on television, and I'm not endorsing this series. Every, I don't endorse series or movies from the pulpit because as soon as I do, and you watch it, and, and there's some terrible word or something that said, ah, and he endorsed that. So I'm not endorsing this, but I will ask this. How many of you saw the series of specials by Leah Remini on the Church of Scientology? Would you raise your hand? You saw that series of specials. It was amazing to me at the coercion of that group. Just amazing. Now, they don't pretend to be Christians, but there are plenty of Christian churches and groups that use strong-arm tactics to get people to give. Is that what Moses and the leaders of Israel did? Is that what we should do? Should we use strong-arm tactics? Not at all. The Bible says that they gave a free will offering. They gave because of something that was inside of them, something that moved them to be generous with God. What was it it that had moved them? Well, first of all, they were people with a generous heart. They just had a generous heart. Exodus 35, 5, take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let them bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze. That's what it takes. It takes a a generous heart. That's who gave people of a generous, a generous heart. You know, it's like giving love. You can, you can give love begrudgingly or you can give it generously. Um, when, when my grandchildren come around and I hug them, that's a generous hug. And hopefully they give me a generous hug. When I was living at home and me and my brother Butch got in a fight and the way that fight was supposed to end was by my mother or my daddy disciplining us and then saying, now you two hug each other. Oh, man. Only hug I wanted to give him was something that would break something. 
But I would. I'd, I'd hug him. We do a lot of things like that. We do a lot of things generously, and then we do a lot of things begrudgingly. Worshiping the Lord should not be a begrudging matter. Worshiping the Lord should not be something that causes us to, to say, I don't, nah, I don't want to do that. I'll do it if I have to. But they gave from a generous heart. And they were also people who were responding to the Lord. Verse 21, and they, they came, everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its services and for the holy garments. These were the ones who were sensitive to the leadership of God. Everyone should have some sort of a, a sensitive heart toward God. Over the years, and, and, and let me say this, you, you know it doesn't matter what area of service it is, whether it's giving or whatever it is. You know whether you are responding to God the way that, that he wants you to. You know. I, over the years, I've had people come to me, and I mean, I can't tell you the number of people who have come to me. And they say, preacher, can you just tell me what, what I should give? <laughs> well, No. If I told you what you should give, then you'd be making a payment. No. God has set some guidelines. We all understand about tithing and giving beyond the tithe. It's a guideline, but let let me just say this to you. That God is able to lead everyone into worship and obedience of Him. But we have to have a a generous heart. Who did this giving? Well, God's people did. They did it from hearts that were generous. They did it from hearts that were responsive. They did it from hearts that's willing to work. These were people who could work and would work. Verse 25, and every skillful woman spun with her hands, and they, they brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. Verse 29, all the men and women, the people of the Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. The givers are usually the workers in the church. Preacher, what would you do to, if you had a church like that? Well, I really don't know, but I will tell you this, that it is a joy to pastor generous people. It's just a joy. People who are willing to work. What did they give? Why were they so generous? Who participated in the offering? Let's finish with this. What were the end results of this offering? Now we're going to pick back up with our text. First of all, they received enough and more than enough. Verse 5 of Exodus 36 the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded. Verse 7, for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. Have you ever been in a church where there was enough and more? Now, here's what people think, and they think this about our church. It's an interesting dynamic. Our church's reputation is much bigger than our church is. 
The, the, the people think of our church that we, we are a wealthy church. <laughs> and, and they think, well, everything is, is always met. And, and I will say this to you, and, and I'm being honest here. We do find a way to meet the needs of this church. But there are a couple of reasons for that. This church became, we became debt-free in 1997. And we have worked hard to be debt-free since then. But that doesn't mean that the people shouldn't give. That doesn't mean that the need is not real. I, I wanna, I'll give you a little something about personal finances. Um, and and this, is, this, is really a, this is really a big deal. You know, in personal finances, you can be a step ahead or you can be a step behind. Okay? Everybody experienced that? You can be a step ahead or a step behind. Here's the oddity. A step ahead versus a step behind is more than a two-step difference. Much more than a two-step difference. And in 97, when we became debt-free, so much opportunity and, and so, so many avenues opened up to us that, that we said, we're going to stay a step ahead no matter what. We're going to stay a step ahead. And we have. And if you ever get a step ahead in your personal finances, you'll, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. It's more than a two-step difference. Look, I alluded to this earlier. I'm going to talk about it now. You're about to call a new pastor. He will need to add to his pastoral staff. I have known for some time, long before I told you in May, I have known that God was bringing my ministry at North Florida Baptist Church to a close. I have known that for some time. This isn't something that just jumped on me in a day or two. I didn't get frustrated and say, okay, I'm done. No. Not that I haven't gotten frustrated and said, okay, I'm done, but but I didn't get frustrated and say, this is something that God had been moving on my heart. And, and knowing that the time was coming for me to end my ministry here, I allowed our staff to reduce. I allowed our staff to reduce by attrition, and I allowed our staff to reduce by utilizing part-time staff. I did that over the, the period of time. And so now there are staff positions that are either part-time or filled in by somebody else or, or not even there. And, and that when a new pastor comes, the new pastor is going to need to fill those staff positions. He, he's going to be looking for some full-time staff that will need to, uh, that for his, to build the church. And, and he will need for the church to be faithful and generous to meet the need. And, and you, have, you have to understand that. I haven't had a, uh, what we call an executive assistant or a personal assistant or what used to be called a secretary. I haven't had one in years. I've not had a secretary in years. And, and one of the reasons that I've not had a secretary in years is because that I have had a, another way to meet that need and because 
I knew where I was coming to in my ministry here. But the next pastor, he'll need an assistant. And you can't say to him, well, Pastor Ray didn't have one. I don't know why you need one. I'll tell you why he's going to need one. Because he's going to be brand new. He's not going to know all the stuff that I know. Know all the people that I know. And know all the ways that I know to get stuff done that I know to, to get done. He's, he's going to need that. He's going to have a vision that calls for the church to give. And you're going to have to let him do some things. You're going to have to let him, and, and, and I'm sure I'll say this more than once, but you, you can't have sacred cows that he can't touch. You just can't do it. When I came here, oh my goodness. When I came here, the, I, the, there were things that if I touched it, my hand would burn. And, and we began to do some things, and thank God I had a group of people in this church that were very supportive to me. And they allowed me to, to become the pastor of this church and to lead it and to move on and, and so on. But I, I want to say something to you. That the new pastor, whoever he is, he doesn't need a group of people to be supportive. He needs the whole church to be supportive of him. He needs to know that I'm going to a place where they're going to accept my leadership and they're going to, and, and not just give me a chance, but give him an advantage. He ought to have an advantage. And what's the advantage? The advantage is that you're generous with the benefit of the doubt. There are going to be things that, that you expect of him, and I'm kind of off, and I'll keep that question mark up there. I'm kind of off message right now, but that's all right. Sometimes my best preaching is off message. There are going to be things that you're going to just naturally expect him to do or emphasis to have or ways to be because that's what you've gotten used to with me for almost 25 years now. I never will forget that when, when I first came here, the former pastor, Rayburn Blair, who's still living, the, the former pl- pastor had a, um, every Sunday, somebody would go outside, they would clip a rose from the, the little rose area over here, which is a sacred cow, I will tell you. But they would, they would clip a rose, and they would bring it in, and they would put it, I don't even have a, a lapel a hole there, but they would put it uh, in the lapel of, of Brother Blair's coat. And Brother Blair preached all the time with a flower on his lapel on Sunday morning. How many of you remember that? Would you raise your hand? You remember that? A few of you do? He would preach with a flower. Look, the way that people felt about me when I first came here, I knew that they were going to look the whole time I'm preaching and think, there's a blooming idiot. Plus, I don't do flowers. I just don't. And so somebody walked up to me and they said, Brother Blair always did a flower on his lapel. I went, oh, gee. I don't want to do a flower. I don't want to do it. 
And I think I wore it one Sunday. And then I went to that person. I said, look, I've got to be honest with you. I'm just not a flower guy. I'm so sorry. I'm just not a flower guy. Please understand that. I, I may be wrong about this. I doubt seriously that your new, new pastor is going to wear a coat and tie. I, he may, but I doubt seriously that he does. And you know why? Because almost nobody does anymore. I am a stinking dinosaur. I'm a good-looking dinosaur, but I am a dinosaur. You don't judge him because of that. It's going to be different. But you know what is going to be the same? He is going to need for this church, for you, to support him and to support the church financially and every other way. These people, these people gave with a a spirit that they were willing to do God's work. And they received enough and more. So much so that the preacher quit asking. Verse 6, and I'll finish this quickly. So Moses commanded and word was proclaimed throughout the camp, let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution of the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing. Now that's mind-blowing. As I, I told you, this is my last message on the subject of stewardship, tithing, giving, being generous with God. Wouldn't it be wonderful for the spirit and truth of God's blessing on having a generous heart to just take hold to the point that the only reason anybody ever spoke to you again on it was just to rejoice in it? The next thing, the work was complete, and thus all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of the meeting was finished, and the people of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so they did. You say, wow, that's great. They finished it up. It was all done. What did they do next? Well, they continued to give. In Leviticus 1, and we won't take time to read it, but Leviticus 1 and 2, there's more instruction about reading, about giving. These, these folks did as we believe the Bible instructs the New Testament believer. They gave and they gave again. 2 Corinthians 9 to 7, each one must give as he has dedicated in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a what kind? A cheerful giver. This morning, I'm going to give an invitation. I haven't given an invitation any message, and I'm not, this is not an invitation for uh, people to say, I've been doing wrong, and I'm going to come and fall at the altar and do right, and it's, that's not what this is about. I want to give an invitation for you who are here today to acknowledge that you're in a new day in this church and to acknowledge that God needs, let me back up, that God has chosen to need you. It is a blessing for God to use us in his work. He can do whatever, look, he spoke the earth into existence in six days and rested on seven, on the seventh. God can do whatever he wants to do. But one of the things that he's chosen to do is to use you and to use me in his work. And you're in a new day. You're in a time of transition. And I pray that you will dedicate and rededicate and dedicate yourself again to be all that God would have you to be. 
not just in preparation for a new pastor, but in acknowledgement of his goodness and the freedom that you have in Jesus Christ.